Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I'm your host, Marita Spada, where I speak with people from all walks of life as we discuss ambition, purpose, mental health, and the sweet balance between it all. My guest today is Scott Shute. He is the former head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn. He blends his experience as a Silicon Valley executive with his lifelong practice and a passion as a wisdom seeker and teacher. He has been a pioneer in creating workplace mindfulness programs and advancing the discussion around compassion in the work context. He's the author of the highly acclaimed book, The Full Body Yes, and the founder of Changing Work. If you are a fan of the podcast, please remember to leave a rating or a review and maybe even share the link with a friend. And now, let's kick off the show. Scott, thank you so much for being a guest in the podcast today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, there is a lot that I want to talk to you about. I reached out to you over LinkedIn after learning about you, which I don't know if I told you, learning about you from Inside Timer. I'm a meditation coach in there as well. And I found you and I've joined your live meditations many times as well. So it was just, I found a connection with you in the meditations while I was doing them live. And I really just wanted to have you as a guest. So I really appreciate cool. you responding to my random message <laughs> called emailing. <laughs> I'm glad you reached out. Yes. And so I really wanted to understand your origin story of how sure. mindfulness really just took a part in your life. Sure. Well, for me, it started early. Um, I started a practice when I was 13 and I've been teaching since I was in college outside of work. I've, uh, it's been a huge part of my life. I'm actually a member of the clergy in the spiritual path that I follow. And I eventually brought, so that's, it's always been who I am. I eventually brought that to work, you know, long story short, I was at LinkedIn for about a decade and I realized it was such an open place and I, I was able to to bring it to work, starting just by leading a meditation session, which then turned into a weekly thing, which then turned into me being the executive sponsor of our program. We didn't really have one. So we created it with a bunch of other volunteers. Um, at the same time, I had this big job. I was VP of global customer operations, leading a big team. And over time, about three or four years into it, I created a full-time gig uh, with the help of the CEO and the head of HR. I was the head of mindfulness and compassion programs at LinkedIn for three years. So it's, it's been a huge part of my life. That is amazing. I think one thing for me in my nine to five, I actually am a senior manager for a technical support team. Just, they have everything from like just helping customers and debugging all that sort of things. So it, it gets stressful specifically with just incidents, things going down, and then having to sure. act and drop everything to go into that. And so I've approached my team. I have 10 people now with kind of like mindfulness and empathy and whatnot. And and it's really shown, um, as you probably know, working in the corporate world, you get those surveys that are sent out every quarter and just mm -hmm. to measure how good of a manager right now you're being and what people are mm -hmm. thinking and what should be improved. And empathy is a keyword that comes out a lot, which I'm really proud of because I've made kind of a big change in my management style. But with my long-winded way of saying all of this is, how did you find a way to bring in actually practicing mindfulness in LinkedIn. Like, sure. I think there's a lot of people in the tech industry that might be a bit skeptical, that might not be, they, they just don't find it um, 
beneficial, which for me is mind blowing at times because I found <laughs> it extremely beneficial for my life. Sure. I think there's a couple ways here and we always want to meet people where they are. So my mission in life uh, still, even after leaving LinkedIn, I left a year and a half ago, is to change work from the inside out. And then the, the, that's the vision. The mission is two parts. It's by mainstreaming mindfulness and operationalizing compassion. Because how I think about it is mindfulness is an individual sport. You know, it's what happens with each one of us. It's what happened between our ears. It's, it's up to us. And so I just wanted to create an environment where anybody who wanted to participate could participate and just make it mainstream. And so we offered people, you know, weekly meditation sessions. We offered people access to apps. We, we tried different ones over time. Every year we would have a 30 day challenge during October and try to get as many people using the apps as possible just to kind of, you know, let get them interested. And, you know, if they used it a certain amount of times, they got a free T-shirt or one year we even did hoodies. And uh, what I would say is never underestimate the power of a free hoodie on human behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, after the 30 day challenge, lots of people continued. They continued using it. Um, and I would do things like I would meditate on LinkedIn Live. Right. So here's this, you know, middle aged, successful white dude meditating for 20, 30 minutes on LinkedIn Live. I'm just trying to make it normal. And the way I think about that is for most people, for most companies, like we have a gym at work if the company has a certain size, right? Or they'll give right. you gym membership. And why, why do we do that? Well, it's because the company knows that if our employees are healthy, they're probably going to be happier and healthier and ultimately deliver better results. Because what's good for the employee is ultimately good for the company and vice versa. So some people get a little weird about meditation about mindfulness like well why should we do that at work isn't it just going to make us soft or lazy or we're going to lose our edge i've heard all of that yeah it's funny i uh well anyway i teach a workshop called balancing our ambition with our inner peace which <laughs> which we <laughs> which we go into but i think about it like this if you're bought into having a gym okay great me too but how many of our employees do we need to be able to bench press twice their weight, right? How many of our employees do we need to be able to run a seven minute mile for their job? How many of our employees do we need to be able to spin for, you know, whatever, as long as they can spin? And, and the truth is not very many, right? To actually do their job. But how many employees do we need to be mentally stable to do their job? How many employees do we need? What percentage do we need to be emotionally balanced? you know, and focused and have clarity of their mind. Oh, pretty much everybody, yeah. right? Well, that's the benefit of mindfulness. It's the benefit of meditation. And yeah, not everybody's into it. Um, and that's okay. Just like we have a gym, not everybody goes to the gym, but everybody knows it's there, you know, and part of every company's wellness department is to continue to share best practices about how to be healthy, drink enough water, get enough sleep, exercise a certain way, and now also mindfulness. If you want to meditate, here's how, here's six different ways or a hundred different ways. And so part of my job was just to make it normal, as normal as to make mental exercise just as normal as physical exercise. But for me, even better, even better is the second part, which is operationalizing compassion. 
because as I mentioned, mindfulness is individual sport, but compassion is how we work together and all of our work. We don't work by ourselves, right? All of us work with other people, pretty much all of us. And so compassion is, okay, how do we take that mindfulness ethos, that idea, and actually operate as a company in a way that leaves everybody feeling whole, that, that provides a balance for everyone and also delivers amazing results, right? This is not some California hippie thing just to like make us feel good. Like I'm a business guy too. Like I want, I want there to be great results. And the, the research shows that people who are stable and people who act, who, you know, uh, live the principles of conscious business are actually more successful at work as well as the teams, as well as the companies they're in. That's fantastic. And I was curious because you had mentioned that you worked there for 10 years. And so there yeah. was no program until you and Correct. some folks volunteered to build it. Correct. Were you able during that time frame, like collect data to show what it was like before the program and after the program and like yeah. how much it affected focus and concentration and just general results for the individual? Good question. I'm really interested in the measurement aspect and it's really hard to get. Yep. Because when we talk when we start talking about performance, there's so many factors that it's really hard to isolate people who meditate versus people who don't. Because oftentimes you're selecting for different reasons or you've been introduced for different reasons and it's it's extraordinarily hard to tease that apart. But what we find, look there's tons of research in the world about the effects of meditation on decreasing stress, decreasing anxiety, increasing quality of sleep, increasing quality of relationships, increasing quality of creativity and leadership, and you know, on and on and on. It's, it's unquestionable, right? The, the, the research is unquestionable. What we haven't quite gotten to is absolutely linking to performance, but there's a lot of things in between. You know, we can link happiness to performance, we can link other things to performance, but it's a, it's a little bit of a hazy line from one to the other. So for me, the things I was interested in measuring, because you know, I'm a business guy, I like the numbers, I wanna, I wanna keep track and know what the numbers are <laughs> when somebody asks me about ROI. Um, I would keep track of things like CSAT, customer satisfaction, right. and, and uh, consumption. In other words, if I put on a program, did anybody come to it, and then did they like it? And so I tended to measure things that way. And then, I really liked the stories of how it changed people's lives. That's what mattered to me. Like to hear people talk about their own personal journeys and unequivocally equate these practices to their own success. So as an example, uh, and this would happen tens or hundreds of times, a woman reached out to me during the pandemic. We were offering you know, meditation programs. And in that moment, in kind of late 2020, things were hard. Right. Here's a young woman, a young like late 20s, early 30s, couple kids at home. She's trying to get it all done. Right. She's a salesperson. She has a big number, a quota, has two little kids. Daycare's closed. So she is taking care of the kids at home, taking care of the house, doing the shopping, doing the everything. And she, she said, OK, look, I just want to thank you for offering these programs because I'm screaming at my kids a lot less. <laughs> and, and she laughed in a way that let me know, we both laughed, in a way that let me know that she was kidding, but not kidding, right? Because right. we've all been there. We've all been to the point of our breaking point. And she went on to say, you know, because of this, these practices, 
she was a better mom. She was a better partner. She was a better person. She was better at work, right? She was just overall a better version of herself. And for me, that's, that's the gratifying part. And as a leader, I hear enough of those stories. I'm like, oh yeah, we should absolutely be doing this for our people. I agree. Well, I started meditating about four or five years ago and I started realizing changes immediately, like just from day one, I would just before meditation, I would come to work and I work from home. So I would just turn on my computer, look at my calendar and just look at the stuff that I needed to do. Yeah. And it was it's like nine in the morning. I'm drinking my coffee and I'm already overwhelmed, stressed out. I <laughs> right. didn't even know where to start. Right. And so I don't know what's and I have ADHD in addition to that. So my mind's already running 100 miles per hour. It is just the the for me, like for me, it's just magic because I just can't explain. There's scientific facts behind sure. it. But at sure. the time, before I did any of that research and I just started meditating casually for it was magic because I didn't know any better. Sure. Um, but it just managed to ground me enough where I was like, right now you're in this moment. Yeah. You're drinking your coffee. You're catching up with Slack, checking calendar, checking emails, preparing for the day. After this, we'll jump on whatever's next rather than looking at the entire day, just being completely overwhelmed breaking it down. And so it seems like something so simple, but it's something that even my team members would struggle. I don't know what to prioritize. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Right. Great time block. Just right. one step at a time. What does your right. morning look like? Two, three That's hours. Right. And That's then we'll right. move, move on. And I was like, and if you have too much on your plate, let me know. We'll shuffle things around yeah. and we'll figure it out. And so I think it's that, that way of just trying to look at life from a more calm and grounded place yeah. that just makes you a better version of yourself, better leader, yeah. a better spouse, better parent, like you name it, any kind of That's relationship right. gets impacted by it. That's right. I promise I have a good reason for the quick interruption. As the years have passed, I have redesigned and repurposed the podcast along with the work around it. The Turning Point Podcast is a place for people from all walks of life to share their life lessons and we break those down to see what turning points had the most impact on their lives and how they laid the foundation for who they are today. Mostly, we discuss life, ambition, purpose, mental health, and the sweet balance between all of those. My upcoming book, A Renegade's Journey to Stillness, is a memoir that invites you as a passenger on my journey to self-discovery. On this book as well, I share my passion for mental health and my meditation experience by teaching others an inside timer as well as training with Joseph Goldstein, Pamela Matters, Jeff Warren, and many others who I've joined in their meditation retreats. From this journey, I've learned so much, which is why I've created the project Your Truth, Your Voice, which you can learn more about soon. This is a new version of the Clarity of Mind project. It encompasses much more than just being able to find ways to clear our mind to focus on what matters in life. It is a way to bridge finding our truth and voicing that as well. I'm excited for you to learn more about it when the project launches, but I wanted to give you a quick preview of what's to come. All the links can be found in the description of this episode. With that said, let's go back to the interview. It gives us space, right? When we're in overload mode, as you described, and everybody's been there, we have all been there and far too often for myself than I would like. When we're in overload mode, we can't see clearly. 
we can't think clearly like you're describing like i don't i don't know what to do next what do i do and we, and it creates a sense of panic and anxiety that we often feel and so the analogy i use it's like a snow globe that's all stirred up right and the snow inside is just so messy that's like our mind but when we calm down when we breathe when we meditate when we do any of these practices and and look there's a practice for everyone i guarantee you, there's a practice for everyone it's like putting that snow globe down on a table and then watching as the snow or the glitter inside settles and then when it does settle well then what happens oh we have clarity we can see whatever it is the golden gate bridge on the inside or whatever the you know the, the logo on the inside just like in our minds when we slow ourselves down we're very capable people mm -hmm. you know when we slow down it's like then it becomes more obvious what's next we can start to take these small steps that turn into the bigger actions. We're just, our capacity for life increases. Our capacity for life increases. Yeah. No, it's 100%. And, and I think people look at meditation that it needs to be this one thing, mm. right? Like you need to be sitting down. You can relax your yeah. back. You need to be, you can't be in a couch. And even with my wife, when I was like, why don't you meditate? Well, I don't want to be sitting down like you sit down. I'm like, how do yeah. you want to do it? And I want to lay down on the floor. Then lay down on the floor. There's yeah. no wrong way of doing it. That's there's, what I tell people all the time. There's so many and it fits. If we think about, uh, so first I think about, okay, what's your goal, right? Because for some people it's just, hey, I want to reduce stress. Well, there's lots of things that will do that. You know, fishing if done right, can be a meditative practice. Yeah. There are definitely walking meditations where, you know, you, you, you concentrate on a certain thing with every step, you know, breathe with a certain number of steps. There's lots of different things you can do. For people who are new at it, I recommend, you mentioned Insight Timer at the beginning. I love Insight Timer. Yeah. You know, I'm a teacher there, but I also consume it. There are, I don't even know the number, something like 20,000 different, you know, different types of meditations on Insight Timer. I guarantee there's one for you, right? Some people don't like to close their eyes. It makes them anxious. Well, keep your eyes open, focus on something else. But the key is why do you wanna do it, right? I, when somebody's new, I always start with why. Cause if you don't know why, it's just like anything else. Like if we go to the gym and I don't know why I'm there, it hurts. Like why, why would I go back? <laughs> That's not a practice I'm gonna continue unless I have a really clear picture of why I'm there. Same thing with meditation. For some people, it's a spiritual exercise, right? They want to achieve some sort of enlightenment or you know, spiritual grace. For other people, dude, they just wanna calm down. I just, wanna, I just wanna be able to see past the noise in my head. Great, nobody's wrong, but everybody needs to have their own clear reason on why they're doing it. And then from there, find a practice that works for you. Oh, actually, fun fact. Do you know what the most powerful, most effective type of practice is that you can do? No. Sci scientifically proven. Okay, get your pen and paper ready. It's 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 the one you'll actually do. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's the one that's the most effective, right? So if your wife wants to lay down on the floor and count numbers, count breaths, yeah. great. You know, if somebody else wants to fish and just breathe, you know, while they're fishing, great. Whatever it is, just do it. Because nothing happens if you don't do it. And if you don't like it, you won't do it. No, and something else that I do when you mentioned the fishing is um, 
I like to play golf, but I like to play golf when I want to do it as a meditation type of thing. I want, yeah. I like to go alone yeah. and I'll play nine holes, which is short. And yeah. I'll take my time and I'll play around a time that I know that I'm not going to have anyone behind me rushing me. Yeah, that's and right. Every time I swing, I take a deep breath and it is beyond. I, I love it. It's just it, I got into the sport because working in tech, you're in a desk and I yeah. wanted to do something that didn't mean like yeah. going to a gym and just being inside again. So just doing something outdoors that's um, right. that I could do on my own if I wanted to. I'll tell you I'll tell you a little story about golf. I used to play more. <laughs> And I would go in waves of like playing a lot or playing a little, and I was never awesome at it, but I was pretty good. And then, you know, highly irregular. Right. And so when I, I I'm playing less now. And so I keep score by smiley faces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start doing that because I'm not that great. <laughs> so here's what happens. Like, because I don't practice as much, uh, you know, I'm irregular. So I might have a good day one day, but I might have a terrible score the next day. But I, my mind still thinks that I should be shooting in whatever, the low 80s or the low 90s. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. And I find myself out on the golf course just being mad, just yeah. being angry. Like I'll hit a bad shot and I'll just be frustrated. And then later I realize, wait a minute, I'm paying to do this, right? And it's sometimes not cheap. I'm paying yeah, to that's do what I was gonna it say. By, by both time and money. Like we're paying to have fun. And so the primary objective of playing golf is not to shoot a certain score. The primary objective is to have fun, at least for me, right? So I started keeping score by smiley faces, meaning at the end of every hole, you, it's either green, yellow, or red, kind of like in the, in the airport or sometimes in the yeah. bathroom, you see the little <laughs> buttons you push, right? Green smiley face, yellow neutral face, red frowny face. So I'm with my friend who's a good golfer, better than me. And we were laughing about this. And uh, he was kind of watching me because I, I had declared this is how I was going to play, right? And he knew what my job was at the time, my head of mindfulness. So I hit a good shot and he's like, oh yeah, green smiley face. I'm like, sure. And then later <laughs> I like totally hook one in the trees and he's like, red frowny face. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. I'm good. I'm good. And I hit another <laughs> shot and you know, maybe hit it okay. I'm like, see, I'm still, I'm still smiling. I'm still good. And it's that constant reminder of why. Why do we do anything? And this is really about building self-awareness, which is another you know, benefit yeah. of mindfulness. It's about seeing things for what they are, not what we think they are, what they are, are. You know? And this is part of the practice. So for me, that's why I think work is just as valid of an experience to to experience mindfulness as an ashram or a monastery or whatever work is an amazing place we get to, we get to test our practice all the time yes i agree and and one more thing on the golf thing that i wanted to share with you is so i took just a, a lesson one time with this one yeah. um she used to play in the pga or something i don't even know she was she's really good nice. and i kept getting frustrated and she's like what sports have you played before it seems like you look like you might have played another sport. And I said, well, I played basketball in high school and in college. And she's like, yes, this is completely the opposite. You need to be very strategic. <laughs> you have, you have place and every here is like this one shot. This is where you're at. And yeah. she's like, every time we go out, you're planning this shot and you're ahead on your short game and you're already in the green, but you're still in the tee box. She's yeah. like, you need to be at the tee box when you're in the tee box. And yeah, that's, that's right. why as much as I got frustrated with golf at the beginning, I was like, this is going to force me to be more mindful 
and it's going to get me outside. So yeah, I mean, what you're pointing out is the power of presence, our ability to be present for this moment, which is extraordinarily hard, right? I mean, we're surrounded by noise, we're surrounded by distractions, everything, you know, seems like it wants our attention. So it's really, really hard. First, let's call that out. But we're so much better at everything we do when we're present, right? We're better in our relationships. Anybody who's ever tried to have a deep conversation and the other person is totally distracted, they're watching TV or they're on their phone, knows that you, it just doesn't work if you're both not present right. or it doesn't work as well. Um, turns out the act of being present is a bigger factor than the stuff in our lives, right? So I could ask you, okay, well, what makes you happy? You know, and, and you probably have a great list of things, whether it's your partner or vacation or your hobbies or your dog or kids, or whatever. Everybody has a list. What makes them happy? It turns out the act of being present is twice as big a factor as that thing you talked about in your happiness, just the act of being present. Well, so think about it. When are we most present? Well, for me, um, like my hobbies, when I'm mountain biking, you know, when I'm, when I'm mountain biking here in the Santa Cruz mountains here in California, you know what I'm not thinking about? Anything else. I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about the time I got bullied when I was in high school. I'm not thinking about some disaster that's happening in the world today or the news. I'm fully in the moment. I'm fully present. And for everybody, just examine your own hobbies. How many times have you gotten lost in your hobby? Like time just disappeared and you, you know, you know, you looked up and it was three hours later. Yeah. You were fully present. Right. This is what meditation or mindfulness, um, it helps us build that muscle, that muscle to be fully present. And that ability to be fully present leads to all kinds of amazing things. Yeah. It just makes life richer. I wanted to ask you and, and learn a little bit more about what you're doing now for myself and for everyone else listening. You're you're no longer in LinkedIn and you've kind of branched out on your own. I think it's called Changing the Work Inside Out. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, my, my business is called Changing Work. The tagline okay. is Changing Work from the Inside Out. Okay, there we go. And what I'm trying to do is still the same. Change work from the inside out by mainstreaming mindfulness and operationalizing compassion. I don't really use those words anymore because what I found is when I was building things at LinkedIn, if I use the words mindfulness and compassion, yeah, 10, 15% of the organization is interested. So now I'm building things as an example for teams and leaders, but I'm not using those words, but everything has compassion at its roots. But the words I'm talking about are, how do you build high-performing teams? How do you build close-knit teams? How do you build amazing leaders? You know, and behind the scenes, you know, all of it is the, these practices of conscious business. And so, um, yeah, you can find more at changingwork.org or feel free to reach out to me. I do, I do speaking events. I do workshops. I do workshops on things like, oh, we mentioned, you know, balancing our ambition with our inner peace. I do a workshop on building resilience, which is essentially how do I deal with anything that happens to me? Because this world is nuts, right? So. I can't control what's going on in the world, but I can have an influence on how I respond to the world. So that that's the type of thing I'm up to. I'm curious if you cover and, and share as, as much or as little as you want to. Yeah. Um, do you cover, I guess, the difference between 
creating or or just helping teams become high performing teams but managing burnout at the same time because i think every time i mention high performing teams a lot of yeah. people are like well that means that you're just burning your team out no 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 no, 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 no that's no. not what it means because <laughs> i have a team of 10 they are all rock stars they all do fantastic yeah. work at all times unless yeah. you know they're sick or they're dealing with you know it's just a personal issue we're all humans yeah. um and I ask them all the time, like we have every other week, they know I'm going to ask red, yellow, green, what's on yeah. your plate? How are things going? What do we yeah. need to take away from your plate? So at, at any point, they could be like raising their hand. I, I'm done. I am exhausted. Yeah. And so it, I, I rarely, if ever, got in that answer. So I guess if if you're able to share a little bit about sure. the, the difference and, and maybe a little of bit course. of what you, you do with your, your work with that. Of course, I think that the work we do leads to high performance, right? When someone is at their best and when they interact with their teammates and their manager at their best, they're going to perform better. They're going to deliver better results. It's the opposite of just saying, you know, in the old days, the old school of management was, I told you to do it, just do it. Yeah. You know, why haven't you done it yet? And if we think about the history of work, the history of management follows along in the history of work in the really old days, like think about building the pyramids. We essentially had kings and slaves, right? Or people with money or land and indentured servants, right? And that's how people managed. It's like, I told you to do it, just do it. But over time, and, and really not till quite recently, you know, in the 1800s, we had the industrial revolution, right? So now we have a bunch of people in a factory or the railroad was actually the first big project people worked on. Still, our management practices were not great. It was kind of the same. Uh, you know, people, leaders viewed workers as just dispensable, right? As disposable is what I meant to say, um, replaceable. But now in the information economy, work looks a lot like this, right? Maybe you can't see us, but we're both in our home offices, right? We're working at home. And every, you know, white collar employees, information workers have freedom more freedom than workers have ever had in the history of time to move around from company to company right because tools like linkedin have given them the power companies now find people they want to work it's totally flipped in the old days you'd you'd put a sign up in the window or you'd put a sign an, an advertisement in the paper and people would come to you well now companies reach out to employees and try to find the best ones so employees have so much power relative to history and because of that, leadership practices, management practices have changed. And what we realize is to keep people, to inspire them, to build high-performing, close-knit teams, it requires something different from a leader. It requires us to have empathy and compassion and self-awareness. It requires us to manage not only the goals of the company, but also the goals of the employee and see that they fit and shape things so that you can get the most out of your employees. And so we're seeing this evolution. Um, yeah, and there's lots of science behind when we get this right, when we treat employees humanely, when we provide environments that enable them to do their best work, they do. They do so much better than when they're just managed by fear and pain and you know the stick versus the carrot. I agree. It's very rare that I even have to ask my team to do something like it's yeah. just become this like they know what their job is they yeah. they know what's expected 
And then when a project comes up or something comes up, they know, let me pick it up. I have to deliver. Yeah. When do I have to deliver? So it's yeah. really rare that That's right. I have to constantly be asking or, you know, reviewing their work. I review their work, of course, but it's it's not like if I missed a week, like I was out this week, like come Monday, am I going to be coming to the office and everything's going to be madness? No, they yeah. have learned um, again through empathy, empathy and just trying to teach them what their day should look like and how to balance it and take care of themselves. Yep, that's right. There's leaders, times that they get so involved in their work that I'm like, did you eat lunch? Stop yeah. it. I don't care what's happening at work right now. Leave, yeah, get food. Right. And clearly you've built a rapport with them. You've built a sense of trust with them. Employees who feel um, safe, feel psychologically safe. That actually, that is the number one factor in building a high-performing team. It's not IQ or where you went to school or level of diversity or level you push on people or level of money you give them. It's do they feel psychologically safe, right? And when you create this environment, people will, people want to, most people want to perform at a high level. They want to work hard. They want to have their job matter. Uh, and if they trust those around and they feel like they're part of it, they'll do anything. But if they feel like they're an outsider and they, if they feel like you're taking advantage of them, if they feel like they don't trust you, then, yeah, they're going to take every opportunity to just take care of themselves. Yeah. And so it's up to us as leaders to choose the environment on purpose and create that environment on purpose. Yeah. I could not have said it better myself. All right. So I wanted to wrap up the episode, but I wanted to leave enough time to ask you these two questions that I ask all my guests. So I'll start with the first one. Um, what question you wish I asked you and how would you have answered that? If there's anything, because I know we cover a lot of ground. The business part of me wants to say, well, I wrote a book during COVID time. I'd love to tell you about it. And the book is called The Full Body Yes. And it's just kind of a, it's a bunch of stories about getting this right and sometimes getting it wrong. It's fun. It won an award. So you can find it. It's a full body yes. But more fun than that is <laughs> more fun than that is uh, one of my favorite questions these days is a is a you know a good conversation starter at a team meeting and maybe you already know this one I love it it's a uh, if you were a potato how would you best like to be served <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that one but I love it um if I, okay I'm gonna answer it though okay if I yeah it, you so. answer it and then I'll answer um. It. I'm just going to have to go with French fries, but like loaded French fries, just like cheese yeah. and the bacon yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah that's that's, right. that's like comfort food. That's right. Loaded fries. I love it. For me, I would say we at Thanksgiving, we do these baked sweet potatoes that are totally covered in brown sugar and butter Oof. with a little booze. And I don't even drink, but I like the little booze taste in there. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I'm going to steal that question for like an icebreaker. Please, next time. please do. Please do. I love it. Uh, and the last one is, um, and I just, I love this one because I, I, it kind of gives people a, a glimpse of, you know, looking back in time. If you could travel back, what piece of advice would you give to yourself at 18 years old? So basically right, right out of college or high yeah. school, sorry, right, and right. entering the world as an adult by society standards. And, and I use yeah. that, not that yeah. lightly. I would say, dude, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably say the same thing to myself. <laughs> like, I would say it's okay. Don't worry about what other people say. 
I love you. It's going to be okay. Right? Just one step at a time. I love you. And calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I would have said the same thing. I was on fire at 18. I was like, well, I got to conquer the world because I don't have that much exactly. time left. It's always this sense of urgency. I'm like, you have time. Think yeah. about your decisions and take your time. Yeah. And your 20s is about figuring it out. Even yeah. your 30s. So I don't think there's a time in your life. I really think that, you know, there's people that change careers at all times in their life. That's right. I just changed careers. I'm 53. I'm still trying to, well, it's not that I'm trying to figure out what I want to do, but kind of like I have choices now that I didn't have when I was 20. And so I think we always have choices. We're always trying to figure out who we want to be in life. It's not unique. It's not all the way unique to when we're 18. Of course, when we're 18, when we're 24, these are kind of big pivotal times in our lives. But anyway, calm down. I love you. <laughs> Awesome. Before we wrap up, I wanted to give you the space to let people know where they can find you, learn oh, about your you. book, your work, and just, you know, all this amazing things that you're doing for the community and that. for the world. I appreciate that. A couple of different websites. If you're interested in me and speaking and meditating, like me as a wisdom teacher, you can find me at scottshute.com. It's S-H-U-T-E. And if you're interested in this thing for teams, you know, we've tried to codify the best practices in teams. That's at changingwork.org. Changingwork.org. The book is called The Full Body Yes. You can find it basically anywhere books are sold. And also, really, seriously, feel free to reach out to me. I'm at scott at scottshoot.com is my email address. Hit me up there or on LinkedIn. I'm happy to I'm happy to help in any way I can be of service. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. As we learned from our conversation today, Scott was able to bridge the gap between mental health and work at LinkedIn. We focus so much on eating right and our physical fitness, we forget about our mind, our mental health. This allows us to move throughout the day to do what we need to do and what's important to us. The ability to give our mind the space to do so effectively is extremely important. As we discussed, there is no wrong or right way, just find what works for you. Understand what restores your mind and your body and what drains it. But for now, peace out and see you next time.